This is a better way, the podcast. We decided to go live today instead of just putting out the recorded version first. Um, and we love that you're here. I hope that you join and message your friends to join us tonight. I'm so glad that we got a uh, chance to do this today. It is um, my, hu- well, I don't even know if I should share this here, but my husband was watching our one of our last live Zooms and he just loved it. He says, y'all should do the podcast like that. And so when you suggested that today, it was like, it felt right in line with that. Okay, great. I love it. You see when it, there's confirmation, everything works out. And there is there is something great about doing it live. There's more authenticity, even though that's really how we did the first podcast to begin with. It just, we yeah. had an audience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to do the podcast a little different today. I wanted us to really, I think sometimes you and I both have that personality where we jump in and we start, we start with whatever the task is at hand. And we really want to, we want to let people know who we are, who we are as individuals, how we came together. I mean, because as people get to know us, they're going to see how vastly different we are and and how vastly alike we are. And so I I thought it would be kind of cool for our audience to kind of get to know us so that we can build that connection, not just with each other. We're also building that connection with them. Yeah, absolutely. Love it. That was a great idea. Okay. So I'm going to start off by asking Issa some questions. Mm -hmm. And in the comments, if you're if you're watching us live, Issa can see that I can't because I get distracted. So we're going to keep that away from me. Uh, (laughs) But in the comments, if you have any questions, anything that you specifically want to know, just go ahead and you can drop it in there and Issa will let us know. Yes, Uh, I'll read your questions or comments if if they're pertinent to what we're doing. Yes. Okay. awesome. So Issa. Tell us a little bit about, uh, tell the listeners and myself a little bit about your background, kind of where you're from and what are some of your unique experiences in life? Well, I am originally from Puerto Rico. I was born in 1979 in the beautiful island of Puerto Rico, and mm-hmm. I come from a very large family. Um, unfortunately, uh, I lost my mother at a very young age, but we did grow up. I, I'm from the type of family that cousins are siblings, you know, they're just extended siblings. And we spent our weekends between church and my aunt's houses. So that's no, that's how I grew up. That's my young infancy stage. Um, I come from a Christian background. I did go to church. I grew up in the church. My father is Adventist, so I come. I came from a very legalistic background, but I believe it taught me so much about the Bible because they're they're so legalistic, and and I don't honestly mean that in a negative way. To be honest, you know, I learned a lot of details about the Bible, the historical aspects of it, and I think it's helped me understand God's grace better because I understand where, where it all came from to begin with. And it's given me a very different perspective. I think than if, if I, I would have grown in more the evangelical side or charismatic side, um, because I have that historical background. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. So as you kind of grew up and you, uh, you went into adulthood, what kind of, how did you get to Texas from Puerto Rico? 
Okay, so that's via the military. That's <laughs> to most Puerto Ricans, unless you're a Puerto Rican in New York, that's just like one of the places we end up in. Um, if you're in Texas or anything that's not New York or Florida, you're here because of the military. That's um, we have. If, I don't know how many people know this. Fun fact: I'm all about fun facts. Puerto Rico. Even though we're not a state, we're a U.S. territory. We have more people that have served in the military than any one state in the entire nation. So this is something we have a huge background on serving in the military. And um, that's that's how I ended up here. I was in college. I was in my early 20s. I believe I was 21. And um, when I first started doing the National Guard weekends in Puerto Rico, and then I went active duty when I turned 25, I had one year left in college but I decided I was going to join the military and I did. And here I am. <laughs> oh, wow. I love that. So um, one of the things that we, you and I have talked about is your deep love for both science and God. Mm-hmm. And I think I've heard a little bit of that just stemming from your background, but mm-hmm. tell us a little bit more about that. Well, I was going to the University of the Inter-American University of Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. and I was studying biology. I wanted to be a marine biologist, actually. That's what I always, since I was a little girl, science was a passion I had. Um, it came from a deep understanding of the Bible. And I know that shocks people all the time. They're like, what? Science love came? Yes. And it came through creation, Genesis. And it came through reading in the Bible that God would speak to you through nature. So I was obsessed with it because from a very young age, I did see God in nature and I still do connect. So for the people that don't understand the Adventist background, they observe the Sabbath still. And one of the things that we do on the Sabbath is not work, right? But you do go out into nature and spend time with family after church. And the Sabbath is really where you are supposed to glorify the creator. It's like part of God where you're just enjoying what he created because in the garden, he made them, he had them rest on the seventh day so they could enjoy creation instead of laboring through creation. So I have a deep connection with it. Also, uh, many times watching documentaries with my dad. My dad's a big documentary person. So I grew up watching all these animal documentaries. And I did my own little experiments in the backyard. I'm kind of like I grew outside, you know, a brother and a dad. And I just grew up playing outside and discovering the world and nature. And I truly believe that was my passion. It is still to this day. I just don't practice it in that way. But that's really why I ended up in science and got into many debates with my professors. I had one professor that was atheist and he was I mean, he loved me. He respected me. I was in the club. But I never changed my stance. I knew the answer, the textbook answers, but I was also able to elaborate on my theories. And um, he respected that a lot. Mm, I love that. Mm-hmm. So how did you come across my book? That- so, well, I met you at church. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And then I saw we spoke one time that you were writing a book and we were praying about that. And then finally, the book came out Mm -hmm. and I purchased it, of course, supporting my friend. And I was pleasantly surprised. It was like I expected it to to be good, but it was very on time. And even though it's not the science that I studied, it still relates to how God can utilize science, in this case, psychology to help us understand 
ourselves in that way, our minds, you know, to me, the biology, which is what I was focused in helps me understand how he created us and how complex we are physically. Uh, But psychology is just how our mind understands and perceives the world around us and and how it gets affected by it. So when I read it, besides having a similar traumatic experience as a child, um, I also understood the importance of that book in the Christian community um, when we can become stuck on the, on the belief that, that utilizing tools means there's a lack of faith. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. So that's the, I I think I might have one more question, follow-up question, but Mm -hmm. I'll wait Mm -hmm. because um, I want to continue, continue this conversation. So I'm going to now open it up for you to ask me some questions. Yes. So I want everybody to know your background. Now, some people, hopefully a lot of people have read your book, Mm -hmm. right? That's the goal. We really, really, really want you to read the book. But I think there's something special about hearing it from yourself. And Mm -hmm. you have a very diverse background as well. And I just want Mm -hmm. to hear, you know, where did you grow up? And how did you end up here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I grew up in uh, the great state of Kentucky. Uh, I grew up in this little town. Um, we used to call it Podunk, uh, Kentucky. Very small, very rural, uh, Harlan, Kentucky. They actually even made a, a justified the series from uh, from Harlan, Kentucky. Um, none of it was ever shot in Harlan, but. Um, my mother was raised there. She moved to Chicago, met my father, and um, she came from a broken marriage. She was in a, a, a an abusive marriage when she met my father, divorced him, and she had five children. My dad had seven children, and then they got together and had me. And um, so I was the baby of 13, and then mom and I went when they split up, I kind of long way around, ended up with her, ended up back in Harlan. And that's where I was raised for, uh, um, I was raised with a few of my brothers. My sister came kind of lived with this for a little while, but, um, there's a lot of, a lot of good things that happened in Harlan, a lot of negative things that happened in Harlan. i very much like you. I was raised with cousins were siblings and we fought like siblings. We played like siblings. And I had a lot of cousins, um, a lot of aunts, uncles. Um, when you got in trouble with one with one person, I skipped school one time. <laughs> and uh, funny story, my aunt found me. Uh, she saw me. And of course, I, I, I got uh, in trouble with her. I got in trouble with my mother and I got in trouble with my grandfather. Uh, who was kind of the patriarch of the family. And so that's where I grew up. Yeah. Okay. And how did you end up in Texas? So like you, I uh, I joined the military. I got out of Harlan as quickly as I could. I was 17. My mother had to sign the paperwork for me to get in. And um, when I, I, I went as far as the great state of Alabama and I um, I met my first husband mm-hmm. in AIT, and we decided to get married, and I got pregnant, got out of the military, moved to New Mexico, mm-hmm. and then he was National Guard, 
we decided that he was going to go regular army and he got stationed at Fort Hood. Of mm-hmm. course, our marriage did not last. And um, I stayed in Texas because I could not fathom going back to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's something about Texas, right? It's it's mm-hmm. very interesting, especially our area where it, Colleen has locals, but they're they're local because maybe they're third generation military. You hardly ever find a clean person that's been in Colleen for more than two to three generations. There are there they exist. I've met a few, but um, it's it's very much a military formed town, and everybody just kind of sticks like some way or another stays around here. Yes. I think it gives a really good energy and, and diversity that I I find amazing. I love it so. Yes. Um, okay. So the book, how did we become an author? (laughs) When I was growing up, the one thing I was always good at was math and science. I wanted to be an archeologist and I, English, me and and English, we kind of, we were, I made straight A's. So I was good enough in English, but I just, writing was not my thing. When I went to, uh, when I went for my master's program, I started writing and I found out that I really actually enjoyed writing. Mm -hmm. Fast forward, I had a moment where I was really burnt out in a position that I was in and God woke me up in the middle of the night and told me to put scripture in Maslow's hierarchy. And I was like, why? And that's kind of how the ideal came about. I didn't know it was going to be a book. I actually wrote a different book, Mm -hmm. which will eventually be a book. And what made me do that even is just because I love to help people. That's the whole reason why I'm a counselor. I love to help people. I want to teach them the things that I've learned the hard way. I want to pass that to other people. And that's what I really wanted to do with this book. That's awesome. And and I'm going to ask a little bit about it without us giving too much away. We do have <laughs> a plan to go into depth into the book. But how how did you decide to add your personal experiences to this what led to that mm-hmm. well I didn't want to put my personal stuff in there when I went to college and many professional counselors will attest to this when we go to college the very first thing that our professors tell us is keep yourself outside of the therapy room mm-hmm. well when you write a book and you put your story in there mm-hmm. there's a high chance a, a client may get that And I didn't want clients to see that the things that have happened to me because I felt like that would make them have too much of a window. And Mm -hmm. not that I'm afraid of clients having a window into me. It was that was we were supposed to keep things separate. Mm -hmm. Um, When my publisher and I were talking about this, she really said, Ellie, I just want you to let us put it in there. She says, we'll just write it. Let's let's just put it together. Just write it, then read it. And then after it's all together and you've read the whole thing, if you decide you don't want it in there, we won't keep it in there. Yeah. But when I read it, 
when I when we wrote it and we go back and forth, you know, when you're writing things and you go back and forth, you don't really read it, right? Then when you sit down and you read the whole thing, it's like, wow. You don't get to part two without going through part one. Mm-hmm. You don't get to the understanding and unless you get the not only the buy-in, but the understanding of what developmental trauma even looks like. Yeah. And it's amazing because as I'm listening to you, um, kind of share how psychology handles how you perform and how you do therapy versus you merging in this book, mm-hmm. what God tells us to do as believers, which is give our testimony. And our testimony is what helps others become free because that's a part that people can relate to. And I and I see this is the part where I honestly believe that a lot of our struggles is because we separate science from what God is telling us. And and let me be clear, science is a tool. It's a tool of observation. Mm -hmm. It is not, some people treat it like faith and religion, but just like everything, people become fanaticals. We, We treat sometimes just our personal lives as religion and idols, but it's a tool, just like money, just like a car, just like anything we utilize, a computer. Um, but it's observational. And then we have our faith in the knowledge that we have in the word of God that tells us how to apply what we observe, what we've learned through scientific methods. Mm-hmm. And if we were to trust, have faith in God, that just like he promised, nothing on earth can separate us from his love and understand that everything under the heavens is his. And we go with this pure and knowledgeable heart and this faithful heart into these uh, fields, we can heal so much more Mm -hmm. Um, The world around us, because the reality is we're called to reach the people in the world and the people in the world don't know God yet. So Mm -hmm. if we don't know how to reach them, we're just going to be just echoing things that they can't even understand. That's what Jesus used parables because he even said, a lot of you won't understand this. You need a level of spirituality, but I have to reach you somehow. Paul did it as well. We had a conversation about this, you and I. People don't realize, people don't know that there's philosophy, philosophy quoted in the Bible. Literal poems from Apollo are in the Bible. Because mm-hmm. Paul utilized that when he was speaking to the Greeks. He didn't go in there and quote the Torah. They wouldn't even know what he was talking about. He went in there and spoke of Greek philosophers that spoke of this unnamed God that they knew was bigger than any other God, but they didn't know his name. And he was like, you know, that God, that is my God. That Mm -hmm. is the God of my people. So when we allow ourselves as believers to to know that everything is the Lord's and we can use it positively, we can heal so many other parts that um, sometimes we can't reach with just platitudes, like you say in your book. We can't just tell people that don't understand how prayer works. I am going to pray for you. And and we have to be able to have all these tools to utilize in order yeah. to promote the kingdom. Yeah, yeah. I find that very interesting. You were able to marry in this book your 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 knowledge of, of psychology with your knowledge of the word. You teach Bible studies and you teach um, other classes. Mm-hmm. Do you think that helped you be able to process that into this book? Absolutely. Um, one of the things that I really was adamant is that we were going to have these healing steps. 
it's like we get this knowledge and what do I do with this knowledge? I don't think as Christians or even non-Christian, we, we don't always need just do this, do this, do this. It's how do I do that? Yeah. It's the practical. It's the when prayer is good. And I, and I, while I talk about someone, you know, well-meaning Christians saying, oh, just pray about it, honey. Th- th- they mean well. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying we mm-hmm. should pray and put feet. Yeah. You know, there are times that we have to put hand to plow and we have to, if I'm, if I'm suffering with anxiety and all I do is focus on the future and mm-hmm. I, I don't live in the present moment. If and I don't know how to live in the present moment. I thought, let's say I grew up with an anxious mother. How do I live in the in the present moment? Because that wasn't modeled for me. Correct. And praying about it, being anxious for nothing, I can try to, I can try, but if it's never been modeled for me my entire life, and I don't feel safe, I don't feel secure. How I can't magically get from just pray about it and get these scriptures. God can do anything and has delivered people. Mm -hmm. And yet there are sometimes we're called to help people get through. If we had a broken arm, you know, I say this a lot, we had a broken arm, we'd get it set. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we would do what we needed to do. Sometimes with anxiety, I need to learn how to be present. I need Mm -hmm. someone to model that for me. I need to regulate my um, emotions through exercise, through eating right, right. Maybe even a mood stabilizer. And I know people, you know, oh no, she didn't just say I might need medication. You might. It's a possibility that we that we we put God in this box and say this is the only way He can heal me. Instead mm-hmm. of there's all these different things. If we had chemo. I mean, if we had cancer, we would, even though the chemo is not the best, it's not God's best for us, but mm-hmm. it will help us. It will, you know, it will bring a, a level of healing that praying about it alone won't. Yeah. Praying about it alone will help settle it in here, but I need some tools to step it out. Exactly. And, and the truth is, when we look at the Bibles, the stories in the Bible, God can do anything. Like you said, God is capable of healing a person that just asks for it. God mm-hmm. is capable of healing the woman that just touched his garment because she had the faith and the belief that if she could only touch him, mm-hmm. she would heal. But if you break it down, her faith and her belief was in the fact that if I could just touch him. Mm-hmm. So there's still this act of faith. It still took her going through the crowd and being in an unwanted place because she was not part of the Jewish accepted people. She was an outcast. You know, she wasn't she was not clean and all these um legalistic ideas that the church had at that time, um, she was not supposed to be there, definitely not touching anybody, let alone a rabbi, because at that time period, Jesus was considered a rabbi to to the people around him. Mm -hmm. So it took an act of faith. This marks the end of part one. Please stay tuned for our second part. (music) 